everyone. Welcome to another episode of Security Confidential. Today, we are honored to have Warner Moore join us. Warner is very well known in uh, our local region in the Columbus market, uh, but he is uh, an international speaker. He's the founder of Gamma Force, a company dedicated to helping organizations with technology and information security strategy. He has focused his career in working with entrepreneurial growth organizations like Cover My Meds and Bold Penguin. And as an international speaker, he has spoken with Startup Week, Cloud Develop, Path to Agility, InfoSec Summit, Code Mash, B-Sides, DevOps Days, and Abstractions. Thank you for joining us, Warner. Oh, glad to be here, Manoj. Thanks so much for having me, as well as the kind introduction. <laughs> So what I kick this discussion off is, you know, when you, you've worked with a lot of these high growth companies, I remember Cover My Meds was a very small operation and it ballooned to this mega corporation, Bold Penguin, again, very, very successful. Um, when you're looking at these startup companies, what, are the, what do you look at as the foundations of their cybersecurity program? How do you go by assessing, you know, there's cyber, it's such a broad arena, like, what you know, do you decide? That, that's an interesting thought, right? And for many of the organizations I've worked with, even the big organizations I've worked with, uh, global or organizations, I, I, I often join to build this security program. And uh, often there's very little in place or if there is anything in place, it's very tactical. And now, shoot, I, I think I've built over six security and privacy programs. About half of them include privacy, about half. Okay. And the thing is, so, so many organizations, what I find in startups and growth companies, usually what drives the conversation is either a compliance factor or, okay a customer factor uh, where a, a business to business company who has enterprise or large customers is asking the company to be more mature from a security and privacy or technology operations perspective, usually a combination of all three of those things. And often they want a SOC 2 report or they want to be HIPAA compliant or this thing, they just want it. Okay. And it's never really that simple. I, I mean, somebody can do that. Somebody can just get SOC 2. I, I mean, it's more than that. It, it's a couple years of work, but... It's a massive amount of work. <laughs> yeah. I, I've known organizations that just got high trust because someone told them to. And high trust is one of the biggest things an organization oh my God. can do. And it's a lot of money, and not to mention time. It's incredible. So much, so, and especially for a startup, that um, that can slow an organization down. Spend a lot of money in areas that don't provide value because they're low-risk areas. Um, so it, when I go into an organization with a new security program, I, I look at two things. Uh, one, uh, what are the business drivers? Uh, via compliance or customers, or there's usually meaningful business needs in driving security. And then second, the risk. And those two things drive everything. Which is the way it should be. 
Um, so you're not, you, I'm sure you're familiar with the SANS sliding scale of cybersecurity, right? Where they say you should make your investments from left to right, going from architecture all the way to offense. Although I don't know anyone who's doing offense, but it's an interesting thought. Uh, you're not follow, following a formulaic approach. You're very much looking at the drivers and the risk first, and then determining I, what areas. Absolutely. The I, I mean, so, so many uh, security professionals uh, like to take a formulaic approach, right? Walk in and say, NIST CSF or uh, NIST 853 security control, ISO 27000, whatever your flavor is, use as something that's very comprehensive and try and implement that as the standard. Now, I like frameworks and uh, as CIS 20, NIST 850, all great frameworks. Um, however, those frameworks by themselves don't necessarily take the strategic view. And it's easy to get lost into an implementation plan and get so far along and forget about things like risk and business needs that I, I wouldn't get anywhere near even talking about a framework or a compliance initiative without first exploring what the business needs are, what data is involved. It are, is there risk? It, it, that, those assets, are, are there threats? Are, are there vulnerabilities? The risk formula. And without taking that view, it's really easy to spend a lot of money in ways that don't provide meaningful security or business value. You know, Warner, I am ecstatic to hear you say that because I, I agree with you completely. We have seen in our business, a lot of companies that do tend towards that formulaic or very technology-centric approach, when the very first questions that should be asked is, is my risk being mitigated? To what level am I protecting the assets that genuinely need protection, or am I patching vulnerabilities that really aren't that material to what we're doing in the first place? Um, it's uh, it's refreshing that you would take that view. So how how do you assess the risk in these organizations? Uh, I, I look at what the organization does. I, I look at the data. Those two things usually quickly drive the conversation. If it's an organization that's handling protected health information, well, HIPAA is very quickly going to become a focus. And in a HIPAA, some things are non-negotiable. So if it's a HIPAA organization, well, focus there. The same is true of other data types. So first looking at the data that's involved, the assets, and then driving the conversation from there. The I, I think a lot of the organizations I work with, it, it seems, uh, I, as I think about this, it, it, it seems like I'm repeating myself because I'm thinking of some conversations I've had with some of the leaders in the organizations I've worked with over the past few years. And it, it just so happens there are themes with them. And it might just be because of the 
types of organizations that I tend to work with. And a lot of them are tech companies and they're building software, they're, they're building products. So if a company's business is technology is building software, the SDLC is going to be an obvious risk. It, 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 the software development life cycle, if right. somebody doesn't have secure coding practices embedded into the way they build software, and that's their business, well, they're probably missing something. If nothing else, that's a risk that should be talk, uh, talked about and explored. So just looking at it from a few different angles, and what I just illustrated was an example of that. What about in their applications themselves? So following good development practices is one thing, but following good security practices within their own product. does Is that something that you examine as part of of your work it's a great great perspective uh, the it's something I, i've been thinking about a lot uh, over the past year and the reason why is i was attending a CISO forum and a topic came up about a product-centric CISO and i'd never really thought about it from that perspective using those words before but i've always worn that hat because many of the organizations i work with are building technology products and if you're building a product especially a business to business product security features are going to be a part of that and for example so many of our organizations are going to want to have single sign-on integrations or SAML right. or ways to tie to identity management. Right. If it's a SaaS product, we're probably going to have APIs. If we're not building security features into our APIs, we're probably missing something pretty yeah. big. Right. So that is very much part of the conversation. And if you are a CISO or a security person working in an organization who is building products that people use and you're not part or considering part of the conversation or considering security from a product perspective that might be a gap and is something i'd encourage all organizations to consider now you mentioned uh that there's some recurring themes so the sdlc we just talked a little bit about are there other recurring themes that you see coming up and talking to leadership A lot of organizations have trouble engaging on the topic of cybersecurity strategy. Like our conversation began, many organizations now are exploring building a security program because their customers ask them to, right? And it's real easy to have a conversation with a customer and be like, hey, hey, hey the customer is asking for something and you take it from the perspective of the customer always being right and you just say yes. Well, often the customers aren't necessarily taking a risk-based approach either. And it's very important to be able to have a high-level strategic conversation 
in even the sales cycle. I, the executives sitting around a boardroom uh, talking about a product and a potential deal. If that deal doesn't involve high-risk data and that vendor is put through a very robust risk management program or vendor management program or security process, mm -hmm. security due diligence process. It isn't often grounded in risk. So it can slow down a deal, it can impact the deal, it can make it prohibitive to do business at all because it costs too much, too much overhead. And I've yet to encounter an organization that's deft at navigating a conversation like that at the right stages. And if we get too far along that process, it turns very tactical and it's very difficult to reframe or reset. And on the flip side too, as security practitioners, as security leaders and professionals, we need to take that view as well. Because if we're putting every vendor through a robust process that doesn't need that level of scrutiny or due diligence, we yeah. are not spending time in areas where we'd be managing higher risk activities. And I don't see that done well really ever and in security circles we like to talk about being risk-based but it's not happening so there's a there's a disconnect there and i think we absolutely need to solve that as security professionals because if we don't we will slow down and obstruct business in ways that reduce the value we bring to the table and we will lose that seat at the table you know, uh, Warner, I am, this is great because I, uh, personally, I feel exactly the same way, but experientially, all of us at Dark Rhino would have a hard time arguing with anything that you just stated because we see the same things happening. So it, it it's definitely out there in the market space that for some reason, risk is not truly being addressed the way it needs to be addressed um, in these organizations. Now, I, I have a personal opinion about it, and maybe um, you can shed some or comment to it. And I, and I think, you know, that in a lot of instances, the executives that we meet have not yet connected the dots from cybersecurity to revenue threats or revenue improvements. Okay. And I don't know why that is, because it seems like you can open up the news and you can find from major banks to major retailers to online retailers who've all been popped, right? Who've all been breached. Uh, if you were to talk to any of their sizzles, they would say we have the greatest security in the world and we're impenetrable. Um, maybe not that far they wouldn't go, but they, they would probably say that we know what we're doing. But if, at a fundamental level, if that 
connection would have happened between revenue and risk and cyber threats, I think um, a lot more attention would have been paid to the areas of pertinent interest. How about that? That <laughs> need defending. Right. Yeah, I like that. I I was in a board meeting, an advisory board meeting with a nonprofit. Uh, shoot, that was about a month ago. And the conversation was talking about security tactics, right? Implementing tools here and there. And this organization had a bunch of unstructured healthcare data all over the environment. And they kept on implementing tactical controls, but they hadn't considered something as simple as a risk assessment, which is required under HIPAA as well. Right. And the conversation in the room, the executive director, the, the other board members, when we started talking about the fines, uh, potentially 1.5 million for a category of HIPAA, the risk assessment, for example, not followed, that would have been a organizational changing interaction for that organization. And the conversation shifted quickly. And uh, from my perspective, it's just starting. I, I'm new to this board, um, maybe uh, uh, six months in. So I'm interested to see how it goes because I, I think we have the opportunity to change the dialogue to that. Um, and I, I think it's tr <clears throat> tricky in security, right? And when we look at it from the business value, like you said, uh, the, if there's a risk to revenue, it, it, in many cases, it's compliance risk. And in many cases, financial controls are mitigating a, a lot of those risks. But it's important to take that perspective, I, I think. Um, ultimately, it's the language of business, finance, that is. Right. And if we're spending a million dollars to mitigate a risk that is only a $100,000 risk with the annual rate of incurrence of one, well, maybe we're not spending our money very responsibly. <laughs> well, yeah. I, and, you know, um, that exact valuation you gave, you know, is it, uh, are we spending a million dollars on a $100,000 risk? How do you, is, is there uh, a methodology that you prefer? Uh, I know, like, I, I believe you work with Risk Lens with that team over there uh, in some capacity. Um, We've worked with them, and it is a methodology for evaluating risk, um, albeit a little expensive, I think, for a lot of startups to to go and get a handle on. But do you, I'll, you know, risk lens or some other techniques, are there formal methodologies that you would suggest a company uh, follow to uh, take the bias and subjectiveness, if you will, out of the exercise? Well, the example I just provided was a quantitative risk uh, assessment or a way of looking at it quantitatively. And not all organizations are well 
equipped to do that. I, I, most of the organizations I work with tend to take a qualitative approach. I, I do think the thought process is universal though. And in an organization that's more mature or bigger, it, it can be easier to take that quantitative approach because the business maturity will have the sophistication on the finance side to enable those conversations. I, I, I don't have a go-to risk assessment framework. There's plenty okay. out there and, there, and they a whole all bunch. have value. And some organizations already have some in place. So well, why, why take them out if an organization already has one that they like? Because most of them have similar perspectives. I just like to take that perspective with everything that's done from a security and privacy perspective. I think we still have a lot of work to do. And more of the challenges tend to be around not necessarily the lack of risk, uh, perspective, I, I think most security professionals have some handle on risk management. And it's a really good way to talk to business leaders because most more business leaders understand risk than they do the nuances of security and privacy. Right. And risk is easier to tie to business. However, if security leadership isn't represented well in an organizational structure, there's not board visibility. If they're a level or two down in the organizational structure, if they're being managed like a cost center, those yep. are things that make it more difficult for a security organization to be effective. Now, to some extent, we have a chicken egg problem in a lot of organizations, right? If the security leadership in an organization is unable to have the business-centric conversations. They're maybe not suited to rise to that level. And on the other set of coins, uh, there's uh, senior leaders who might be a little more in the weeds. And if we are taking that approach with having that executive level visibility, we're not going to continue to have those seats. So I think we have two things in play right now. We have organizations who are starting to understand that more investment and focus on cybersecurity is important. Yeah. And we also have a profession such as ours where the skills, business-centric skills on average are less mature. So those two things are converging. But ultimately, I think we have a huge opportunity as cybersecurity professionals to make larger impacts and help organizations keep their data and their assets better protected than they are now. Well, and, you know, we try and uh, take the focus out of technology to a degree. I mean, a lot of times when we're talking to a client, it becomes about technology. Uh, it's, can you do this for my firewall? Can you, uh, you know, do this with a CASB? Can you connect our IAM to this? A very tactical 
operational things. And I'm not saying those are not important. There, there's a place for all those things. But um, we try and steer them more to a discussion about process, right? And it's a very difficult thing to do. Uh, some organizations are receptive to it, but I, I would say in our experience, by and large, most are not. Um, and it speaks to that view to a risk. They think you know, that their risks are, are minimal. Um, I, I'm in fact struggling to think of a case. There's been maybe one example I can think of in the last uh, 24 months where we had the CFO be a part of the conversation, hmm. which, which I think is absolutely critical. Uh, because you know the risk from a technical level is is one thing, but understanding not just fines that can be incurred, but losses to your reputation, ransoms you may have to pay out. Um, there, there's a, the legal costs of defending yourself against uh, a plethora of lawsuits that can occur if a lot of sensitive data is lost. I, I think that you really have to look at it in that totality. And, and that's more a discussion about process than technology in a, in a lot of respects. And um, I don't know if you have any guidance on how to steer that, but we would, I'm all ears on that one, you know, mm -hmm. is uh, uh, get people out of the mode of just thinking tactical controls and thinking more in terms of process. I think it depends on the client um, their role, who, who your stakeholders are. A, a, a lot of technology organizations have trouble stepping away from tool chains. It's just uh, how many of us have been used to working. We buy tools, we implement them, we manage the tools and vendors, yeah, et cetera. Sure. Um, but I, I could say similar things with technology as I could with security in that case. If an organization isn't being strategic with technology in the 21st century, they're probably at a competitive disadvantage. The, I, I like your thoughts, your philosophy around process. I usually use slightly different words, but I, I think our, our philosophies are, are aligned there, um, where tools are often the last step or, or a much later step. Agree completely. In fact, if we look at the things that protect our organizations the most, it, it, the CIS top 20 controls, for example, it it's thing I, I words i like to say are knowing what you have and paying attention to it right, right. If you don't know what you have and you're not paying attention to it well let's fix that first before <laughs> implementing the latest fancy tool and i i think most organizations have an opportunity to improve the fundamentals before focusing on implementing the latest, greatest, newest, best, whatever. Um, tools are honestly one of the last things I focus on when it comes to security. Because if the access control process isn't working effectively and consistently, right. 
wow, shoot, then that's a, a burning fire that needs to be put out. I couldn't uh, couldn't agree with you more. So, you know, you work with a lot of very innovative companies, uh, but do you see any innovation on in cyber defense programs in these organizations? Or in any organization, do you see any? Uh, I, it seems to me like a lot of the innovation is being done by the bad guys. You know, they're always coming up with the new way to to get inside your organization and extract money. But do you see anything happening on uh, the cyber security program side in terms of innovation in companies? If I built the team, probably. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's tricky uh, because it requires investment. Um, and no organization is going to be driving innovation without investment. And it doesn't matter what part of the business it is, security included. Absolutely. So in organizations where I build more innovative security capabilities, we had the best security engineers who actually built stuff, right? Not just set up other people's products. So those engineers were embedded and working with leading technology teams, uh, and software engineers, test engineers, et cetera, right? Cross-functional teams. Yep. And they have been incredibly innovative. Now that approach is not common in, in cybersecurity. So it's difficult for me to think of a, a more recent examples. I, I do think that a lot of the more innovative leading uh, engineering teams I work with are more open to doing smart things with security if somebody is able to talk their language however if somebody goes in there like insisting on separation of duties for software deployment uh, it, without understanding how modern engineering teams are working right. they're not going to be very successful so i think where we tend to see the more innovative security teams tend to be in the organizations that are investing in security more commonly that's going to be organizations where security is their business i think uh, so security products that unfortunately that is still less common in a lot of leading technology organizations right unless they were forced to by regulation early in their business i think some of our well, I, I don't like to pick on organizations, but I, I do think Facebook's a fine example where their CISO, this super sharp gentleman, ended up resigning, and there was clearly a cultural conflict between doing the right thing with security and the way the organization wanted to operate. Now, yep. that's me just speaking as an external observer. We can all read the same things. Right. Well, you know, given that, how how do you see setting up an organization 
to defend against targeted attacks? Because that's where uh, I was going to go with this question on innovation, because defending against unknown unknowns, new TTPs or abstractions on existing TTPs is a very, very difficult thing to do. How how do and there's some very innovative ways in which people have been uh, been preached in recent times. So how do you defend against that? Or do you just say buy better insurance and call it a day? <laughs> well, shoot, uh, I, I I was digging through. Um... Uh, uh, public financial reports. The Equifax breach cost over $2 billion um, over two years. And I quit quantifying. I, I, as I'm building complicated financial spreadsheets, I got over $2 billion And I'm like, you know what? I, I need to be doing other things. So it was a very expensive breach. Well, now, they're insurance. Public well, you know, look at Target publicly stated in their annual report. It was uh, last year they had it at $300 million to date in cash that they had blown because of the breach. So the Equifax breach I brought up specifically because their insurance paid, uh, I, I want to say, over $100 million. Really? So they had really good insurance to pay that much, and it didn't even cover 10% of their breach, right? <laughs> uh so, so that's a bad uh, yeah. strategy <laughs> yeah insurance uh, I, i'm not sure we can transfer those risks very well uh, at scale um or even at small scale um thinking about being innovative with innovative attackers innovative in our defense with innovative yes. attacks I, I always think of just scope uh, the assets we want to protect the most, are we focusing our controls there? And if we are and have the assets we want to protect the most well locked down, the risk is just going to be lower. I don't think any organization is secure. I think even the most secure organizations are at risk of, of breach. I, I don't know how secure FireEye is, but just this week, they announced they were breached by a nation state. And the details are still coming out. That's the leading security organization. They were breached. Now, I, I'm not going to dig into the details there, but I don't think anyone can practically expect to be secure. But what an organization can practically do is protect the things they want to protect the most. And that gets back so, to risk. <laughs> organizations who are long in the tooth, been around for decades, if not yeah. 100 years, are at a disadvantage. But gotta start looking at it that way and building and executing strategy to solve that problem. Otherwise, we'll have more multi-billion dollar breaches and no one wants that. You know, uh, the there was a um, quote from someone at the NSA, and I just drew a blank as to who it was. Gosh darn it. But what they basically said is that they, you know, they are using the standard techniques in the most cases to get in, 
to penetrate an organization. So their biggest fear is a sysadmin that is actually paying attention, right? Uh, and they, and he alluded to good security hygiene as a fundamental of, if more sysadmins paid attention or organizations paid mm -hmm. attention to that, it would make companies incredibly hardened to begin with. Mm -hmm. Do the basics. No, you haven't paid attention to it. And once those problems are solved, we can talk about tackling the hard stuff. <laughs> right. Right. But you see how much, how many of these uh, breaches that we hear about are just from lack of basic hygiene, right? There's, there's unpatched systems out there that people don't know are connected to God knows what not. Equifax. It was a patch Equifax. management challenge. It was a Apache. It was one of the Apache software applications, maybe Sparks. Uh, it was over 90 days out of date. Apache had been released. That was the root cause. Target was a contractor, an HVAC contractor, right? <laughs> Getting in the CCTV system, looking That's at credit right. cards. That, I mean, so again, hygiene, uh, you know, that's uh, the ABCs of security. Do do the basics. Do you think uh, in the companies or is there a stage in a company in which proactive threat hunting should uh, becomes relevant? Or do you think it's actually something relevant to a company at any stage of the game? You know, that's so true. I, I've been thinking about that more recently. And my past position has been not to invest as much in that in a security program. I mean, it's expensive enough to build a strong security operations capability, have security engineers on the team, and have mature blue team capabilities. And then red team gets even more expensive. And I've traditionally looked at it from a business case perspective. If I'm spending, um, let's just say $50,000 a year on penetration tests, it's going to cost more to hire a full-time person to do that. Right. Now, I've been seeing a lot more organizations that are smaller, small mid-market, start to invest in personnel in that space. So it's got me thinking about it more. I, I think it's very difficult to create a reasonable business case to create red team capabilities in organizations that aren't very large. However, there's a lot of value in taking and empath taking the perspective and empathizing with an attack uh, attacker. And I think there's a lot of value in having that expertise in the team. So I'm not sure how I do it yet. I, I like the concept of purple teams a lot. And I, I think that after a certain maturity in an organization, it's worth considering and exploring. Once the table stakes are done, sure. If you're, you know what you have, you're paying right. attention to it. Um, well, that can definitely be something that can add a lot more security value. Getting back to revenue, uh, 
do you have you seen any companies actually use cybersecurity to increase the revenue in the organization? Well, yes, I. I I, I, I don't want to name names here. I, I whatever. You don't have to name names, but yeah. But uh, I, I, one of the companies that I, I built their security program, it was because a customer was asking for it, and this was a young company with no security program. Okay. And they were in startup mode, so building a security organization and program in a one to two year old company when they're still struggling with business fundamentals such as market traction and they're not working with high risk data in their core products, it would have been probably on the five year roadmap, not on the one to three year roadmap. Well, a customer insisted on it. And without us building it, they wouldn't have become a customer and a very valuable customer. So I, I ended up helping negotiate that deal and I, and I got them to pay for it and pay for us building our first security program. So we did it a couple years sooner than we would have otherwise and built uh, matured our technology operations at the same time as well. And we, uh, all of us, have the luxury of modern infrastructure as a service platforms that allow us to build a much higher capability uh, platform with relatively low cost. I mean, certainly the op operating expenses are higher, but we, we don't have seven-figure capital uh, expenses or uh, fixed assets we have to buy. So it, it's a very different dynamic, uh, which enables a lot of Power for an early stage company. So, a long story short, that that customer wouldn't have been a customer had we not built a security program. So, I, I think that a more tactical example could be that there are a lot of products out there. If they don't have security features, they're not going to be addressed, be able to address meaningful parts of the market. Most enterprise uh, companies are going to want to have SAML or some sort of identity management or single sign-on capabilities. If you're not doing that, you can address that market. So investing in security in that case directly ties to business. See, I, and I want our listeners to know that, that it's, we're not talking about just a cost center here. You know, cybersecurity has a very meaningful place in revenue generation. Um, it's a topic that we could, I'd love to actually get you back on and we can talk about some, uh, we have several examples that we could, we could talk about on how it was leveraged to create great customer loyalty programs or cross-selling opportunities or, you know, specialized pricing models for certain sets of clients. Um, there's a lot of technologies in cyber that allow you, they weren't designed for that, but they give you access to information that enables those kinds of things. I love it. I, I'd love to. I, those are topics I spend a, a lot of time thinking about and anyone who has thoughts on it, I, I'd love to hear your experience. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely set that up. I'm being cautious of time because I know you 
you're on the clock here, Warner, but I do have one last question for you. And that, what do you see, how do you see the role of the CISO changing here in the future? I think it ties very directly to most of our conversation today. If the CISO cannot be strategic, if they cannot be a peer in an executive team, they're, they have no place being there. Okay. And I, I think that for us to continue to evolve our profession and truly help organizations manage their security risks, we need to not only have a seat at the table and the executive team, we need to be able to communicate effectively to the board and ensure that the board is helping support our initiatives. So if a CISO is unable to act as a peer in those circles and have those strategic conversations, we will be less effective as security professionals. We will be less effective as security capabilities within an organization and will not make progress on pushing this breach boulder uphill and helping our companies be more secure. Uh, very well stated. And then with that, let me ask you, is there anything that you would like to plug anyone, anything, any new projects that you would like our listeners to know about as we come to the, to the end of this? You know, I, I didn't come here with any plugs, and I, I've been we're doing a tech community holiday party, a nonprofit party uh, is coming up, but that won't be relevant uh, much longer uh, after next week. I, I'm always open to conversation with folks about the topics we discussed today, and welcome any sorts of collaborations. So don't hesitate to reach out. No plugs, but always welcome a conversation. Well, we'll put. Uh your contact or email into the show notes so everyone will know how to reach out to you. Well, thanks so much, Manoj, and thanks for having me, and always a pleasure spending time with you and uh, Dark Rhino Security. Thanks. Hey, thank you so much, Warner. Mm -hmm.